Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, O Lord, and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning's story is set within a series of Jesus' parables regarding expectation, preparation, anticipation, and hesitation about the coming of the realm of God. This one is consistent with other parables in that its meaning is opaque. What is not unique is that this story takes place at a wedding. And weddings and parties are prominent throughout scripture. The prophet Isaiah compared Israel's future joy to a marriage celebration. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. In the Gospels, marriage feasts reappear as metaphors for God's kingdom. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Life in God's kingdom somehow mirrors uh, wedding conventions. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. In his vision of the return of Christ, the writer of the book of Revelation imagined a great wedding feast between the Lamb of God and his bride. And let us not forget... Jesus' first miracle took place at a wedding in Cana in Galilee. So here in this story, there are ten bridesmaids going to a wedding. Five bridesmaids go with extra oil in their lamps, planning on staying a while. They're waiting for the bridegroom, and they are ready for a party. The other five bridesmaids, also heading to the wedding and also waiting for the bridegroom, have not brought as much oil. Perhaps they thought, we're not planning on staying too late tonight. And I'm sympathetic to the five uh, hesitant bridesmaids, even though I'm a great extrovert and I love a good party. At times, I'd rather skip out of the fun and nestle on the couch at home because my Netflix shows aren't going to watch themselves after all. When the bridegroom finally arrives, the five underprepared maids are out of oil, and the others say, there's not enough for us to share, go to the market. And they go. And when they return, they find they've been shut out of the wedding party. And it's a harsh ending. And there are a lot of interpretations about what it means. Sympathetically, it feels terrible to be left out or excluded. I assume all of us have been left out a time or two in our lives. And I've had some people tell me that They always feel like they are on the outside looking in. 
I believe this happens more often than we'd like to admit in church, in churches. We use insider speak, right? Insider speak, which doesn't help others feel included. We throw terms around as if every, everyone understands what uh, they mean, like, what is a narthex? Where is the chancel? If you know, point to it. Oh, my gosh, it's right here. That's the chancel. This is a nave. What are paraments? They're the cloths on the tables. So we have prayers and we have rituals that confound people. The youth in my last church were very confident, and they asked why we uh, confess our sins each week. Why we confess our sins. They called it, they called the confession of sin the I suck prayer. I know, I shouldn't say that in church, but I'm quoting, quoting the teenagers. Fewer people are being raised in church or being raised in any religious tradition. So religious language, language and rituals can make guests feel like foreigners in a strange land. And sometimes it's we ourselves who hold back from joining in the life of the community for various reasons, timidity, self-doubt, fear, or the projection of our own insecurities upon others. It's easier to judge others than to join them sometimes. It's much easier to play it safe for fear of making a fool of oneself or being outrightly rejected. It's much easier to stay a wallflower, to be on the margins and watch others dance at the party. Sometimes we hold back simply because we don't have enough energy and bandwidth to extend ourselves. There was an article in the New York Times this past week about the rapid return of drive-through restaurants. And the assessment is that the pandemic forced us to be alone so much in our cars and our homes that people have less tolerance for interacting with strangers. We truly can be our own worst enemies. We were, studies also report that there is an epidemic of loneliness. Right? We say we are lonely people, but we want to belong. We want to take part. We want to be known and have genuine friendships. But it's easy to distrust our own desire for such relationships. We play down that genuine yearning, or we ignore it. We stay home, we watch TV, and we numbly scroll through our phones hoping to distract or amuse ourselves. We eat and drink alone in our cars. Yet real connections... Real connections are exactly what we need to become fully human. Friendships like sunlight give us energy to grow stronger, to deepen our roots and mature into healthy people. It's not a surprise that Jesus describes the realm of God like a party with friends. 
a wedding, a banquet, a feast. He describes God's presence as joyful and celebrative and surprising. Jesus' images of the realm of God speak to extravagant grace and jubilation. There is no scarcity of joy in the presence of God. A healthy community is a community in which people trust themselves, people trust each other, and Jesus is always inviting us to, into that kind of community, into that kind of party. Tim and I hosted our daughter Sophie's uh, wedding 10 months ago. And once the painstaking details and plans were put in place and the last check was written, the day was upon us. And the wedding party was awesome. And it was grand because there is no joy like the joy of seeing loved ones dancing to great music with abandon. Our stewardship season is here. And the theme, as you've heard, is life together. And life together describes what we hope for the church. Because the church at its best is a great party. The community's life together should feel more like a festival than a funeral. And that's not to say that life together is always a party, because it's not. But we make promises to being, to be in life together, and as such, we commit to weeping when one of us weeps and rejoicing when one of us rejoices. We commit to questioning, thinking, serving, and growing together. We commit to being a community that breaks bread, seeks Christ, shares our gifts, and offers compassion to a world in need. We commit to lighting candles and praying with our whole hearts for people in the world who are suffering. When one of my family members some years back was diagnosed with cancer while also caring for a nine-month-old baby, I worried about who would support their little family they didn't belong to a faith community. And I always wonder, to whom do people turn when they're facing an illness or loss? Who will give them beautiful prayer shawls, quilts, flowers, meals, rides, cards, or visits? Who will be there for births, baptisms, weddings, or funerals? Who will teach our children to care for those who live on the margins of society? This is life together at Montview. At our best, as Jesus asks of us, we are offering our lives for the world. Jesus' church is in the business of love and friendships. So let's think about stewardship season not as a burdensome obligation to pledge money. But let's hear the wisdom from the Torah. In the book of Deuteronomy, 
the Hebrews are commanded to give a portion of their agricultural produce by eating it in the presence of the Lord at a precise time and place. But when someone was too far away for this to be practical and still wanted to remain faithful to the commandment, then the text, the, then the text says, you shall exchange your produce for money and bind the money in your hand and spend the money for whatever your heart desires. And there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. In other words, to fulfill God's commandment to tithe or to give, it was perfectly acceptable to throw a party. God loves parties. And the gathering of the people of God, the gathering of the community, the gathering of the church, and the sharing of the gifts we've been given should be signs of God's penchant for celebration. The church at its best best has so much to offer the world. Friendships, peace, love, fidelity, affection, and a multitude of opportunities to serve. Giving financially to your church is one generous way to say, I want to be connected here. Sharing our resources is one way of building life together, building something that's bigger than any one of us. Giving to the church is one way to say, I want you to know me, and I want to know you. Giving is ultimately a life-giving, hope-filled expression to the world. What will it take for you to engage in life together here at Montview Church? Wear confidence like a new party outfit and march in to find your place. Ask yourself, what or where will bring me joy? Put on your dancing shoes. Take baby steps and shuffle yourself out onto the dance floor. Believe that there will always be wallflowers, but they might gain confidence in seeing you out on the dance floor. And simply, Share your gifts with the community. We all invest in one form or another in what we hold dearly. And we hope you hold dearly our life together as community at Montview Church. We certainly don't want you to miss the party. And we encourage you to bring plenty of oil. Thanks be to God.